I don't use a foam roller. I don't stretch. Um, I eat little Debbie's. Um, Sounds good. Kind of become the new normal for my body. If I take a weekend off or only run a half marathon in a weekend, it just uh, I actually stiffen up more than if I go out and do one or two marathons in a weekend. Well, 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 the Atlanta Braves are World Series champions for the first time in more than a quarter century since 1995. So exciting, uh, not just for folks in Georgia, but, you know, across the nation, people have really adopted the Atlanta Braves as America's team and plenty of fitness and faith when it comes to their story of uh, redemption and uh, coming back to win this world title. And in honor of that, uh, our Stuck in My Head segment, going to give you a kind of an early uh, a segment of that this time, is a song that's going to get stuck in your head, hopefully. Uh, it's uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Here it goes. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't know if I'll ever get back. So it's root, root, root for the Bravos. If they don't win, it's a shame. So it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. All right, rooting for the Atlanta Braves. I want to talk about them in just a minute and how, you know, kind of faith uh, maybe played a role in uh, their uh, story of kind of uh, coming out of nowhere, the improbable magical run by this uh, baseball team that's come so become so beloved uh, in the last few days and weeks. Uh, across uh, the U.S. Uh, but our guest for this week is uh, Dr. Ken Fatman. He's a, a psychiatrist in Missouri. And I met him at a recent race. You know, I, I like to run uh, marathons, but he runs tons more than I do. In fact, he's run uh, more than 500 marathons, uh, having having paced, we'll explain that what that means, having paced about uh, more than 200 of those marathons as well, helping folks reach their goals. And I uh, also wanted to tell you, uh, give you a quick recap of uh, my most recent marathon in my 16th state as I uh, pursue uh, a 26.2-mile race in all 50 states. This was number 16, California, went out west, and, uh, you know, ran the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. And uh, I'd actually purchased a kind of a three-pack of Rock and Roll Marathons about two years ago. And then, of course, COVID happened. So uh, I'd already paid for it years ago and went out there and visited uh, some family and friends that live out in Los Angeles. And then I drove down two or three hours to San Diego, ran that race. And a funny thing happened. Uh, I didn't have any kind of expectations about being fast or getting my, my fastest marathon PR or anything like that. But I did want to finish strong and do well. I figured, you know, it's you know another marathon, another state. Uh, but what what was crazy is I actually missed my turn. So um, you know the half marathoners and marathoners, the half marathoners running thirteen point one miles. We all are together for the first you know eight to ten miles, and then we split off. Um, well, I I you know I'd had the map ahead of time, the route. Uh, I should have kind of inspected it, studied it more, because uh, about eight and a half miles in, we're supposed to kind of separate. And there's there were some signs on the course that said marathoners this way, half uh, runners this way. I didn't see the sign. There wasn't somebody standing there. Um, but uh, so I kept going. So did a few other guys that were also marathoners. And so I went about two or three more miles extra. 
uh, that I didn't need to, but then unfortunately I figured out my heart kind of stopped when I figured out that I needed to turn around, go back to the marathon route. So um, instead of uh, 26.2 miles, I ended up with 31.7 miles total. So a 50k plus uh, the extra miles at no extra charge. And so uh, overall, I finished that marathon distance in about four hours, 37 minutes. But of course I had, you know, five plus miles left to go. So, um, and it had a big hill, uh, with about, uh, three or four miles left in the marathon, about a mile and a half straight up pretty much on the, the main highway or interstate they had blocked off in San Diego. So I finished in under six hours, which is good. Uh, but the sun was shining on us, you know, uh, not real high humidity because it's California dry heat, but uh, sun shining on us and uh, not much shade, uh, but great atmosphere. Um, they had an aid station about every mile and a half or, or less. Uh, hundreds, thousands of volunteers. So many folks being excited. San Diego was great to see. Uh, some, some, uh, you know, you, you felt like you were in California, and uh, so it, it uh, was really nice. Um, they had a band, a live band, out there performing. Some local folks. Uh, some great different variety of music. About every two miles. So we had uh, probably about um, at least a dozen bands on the course playing some rock music, and other places they had people with speakers playing music and people out. There were neighbors living out there setting up a shop with some uh, water or even some people had alcohol or food or anything like else. And so a lot of folks kind of getting into the spirit of the marathon there in San Diego. Had a great time and looking forward to my uh, next one. Um, not sure where it'll be. Maybe Louisiana. We'll, uh, we'll find out. But uh, I checked California off the list. And something else that was checked was the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series. Uh, so exciting. I was telling you earlier, kind of previewed that, kind of have a, a story of faith. Well, you know, if you've been following this team at all or not, you know, uh, they, they had some slumps at the beginning of the year, some injuries, uh, weren't really, you know, trending really well. We lost our top pitcher, our entire outfield, including the MVP candidate, Ronald Acuna Jr. At that point, fans lost faith. Um, you know, we thought it was over, season's over, kind of let's just move on to next year, let's kind of get this over with, that kind of thing. We, you know, the Braves actually had a losing record until just a few months ago, uh, kind of mid to late summer, and uh, just kind of a shaky pitching and everything else. But uh, this team, and maybe this is a good lesson for all of us uh, in terms of faith and resiliency, uh, I, I definitely use the word resilient for them. The Braves didn't lose hope. They battled for each other like a family, a band of brothers. Uh, Coach Brian Snitker and veterans like Freddie Freeman staying calm, helping Atlanta bounce back each time there was a setback, and be able to kind of quickly do that, have a have a you know lose that have a memory loss. In other words, uh, we traded for four outfielders who all put up big numbers in the postseason. Our pitchers, our bullpen, shut down some 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 great some of the best offenses in all of Major League Baseball. We got hot at the right time. So uh, just, you know, what a ride for the resilient Atlanta Braves World Series champs. I'm shocked. I'm thrilled as a long-time, lifetime Atlanta Braves fan. So we're going to keep doing the uh, tomahawk chop for you guys for sure. Uh, excited about their win. And uh, my guest for this episode of the Run the Race podcast, which you can find any of the previous episodes on WTVM.com slash podcast. Our guest, uh, he might be a Kansas City Royals fan in terms of baseball, but Dr. Ken Fatman is a psychiatrist in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, he uh, is, is um, you know, has now run about 530 total marathons. That's right. You heard that right. 26.2 miles. 
He's done that more than 500 times. He's in his 60s now, but he really didn't start getting serious about running until he was about 50 years old back in 2005. So he's done a lot in the last uh, um, 15 years for sure. And he's also, his true passion is pacing. He loves helping other runners achieve their goals. We'll kind of explain during our conversation what that pacing involves. Um, and uh, just recently he paced, I think, his 225th marathon, uh, became the first ever person to pace marathons in all 50 states uh, just recently in the last month because previously there was no race in Alaska that had ever used pace teams until this year. And, um, you know, back, you know, a dozen years ago, he thought he had no chance of running 100 marathons. And now he's done that and way surpassed it. He, he thinks that, you know, God gives him the strength and God gives all of us the strength uh, to, to do things, as it says in the Bible. Um, he talks in our conversation about uh, uh, getting started running, uh, you know, training in 1980 for his first marathon, but then not doing it again for almost three decades. Uh, and uh, then, you know, he he'd only ran a, few, a handful of marathons. And then, you know, he kind of got back into running thanks to being a single father, adopting his son, who was seven months old at the time. And his son got into running with him. They ran a bunch of marathons together, half marathons together. In fact, 52 of those in 52 weeks when his son was just 10, 11 years old, which is Pretty amazing for a kid that age. So we talk about, you know, his journey through fatherhood, his journey through running, and uh, kind of the mental aspects and, and ways uh, you can uh, you can achieve these huge goals and avoid injury as well. So here's my uh, discussion with this psychiatrist who uh, loves running marathons and uh, pacing them as well. Well, I'd like to welcome a uh, very impressive runner uh, to the podcast today, Dr. Ken Fatman from uh, uh, Springfield, Missouri, joining us on the phone right now. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Ken, for joining us. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Jason. Yeah, and we met in person, maybe like, you know, we've talked about maybe ran across each other on, on a few other races in the past, but uh, met, you know, in person at the uh, Callaway Gardens Marathon here in Georgia just this past January. And uh, I was actually pacing that uh, kind of role reversal there because, you know, you've uh, done some impressive stuff in your running career after kind of starting off not doing as much your first several decades. Uh, you're now about to pace your 223rd marathon. You're not tired yet, are you? <laughs> no, <I'll> keep going. <laughs> well, I wanted to start there. I want to, you know, talk about your your life and running, and and uh, just you know, especially like with with your son and you guys running things together, and and uh, you know, being a single dad and and different things about your life, where it comes to fitness and faith, but. I wanted to start with pacing uh, because a lot of folks, maybe whether they're non-runners or maybe you know just starting off and running, they may not realize what pacing is. It's it's you are helping folks uh, reach a certain goal, whether it be a three and a half hour marathon or five hour marathon or whatever that time is that you have on your stick. So tell me about your you're about to pace your 223rd marathon this weekend. Uh, tell me about why how you got into it first of all. Well. I was in a group in Kansas City, Missouri, that paces a lot of races in the Midwest, and um, they had an opening in Denver, Colorado, in September of, um, I guess it would have been 2012. Um, so I was invited to go there and pace that. So that was my 13th marathon ever. And what it involves is you uh, just have an assigned time and 
you divide that time by 26.2 miles and try to run that pace the entire time. Now that's assuming a fairly uh, flat and even course. If there are significant hills um, or other challenges, like if it's uh, say 40 degrees at the start, but it's gonna warm up to 70, some of the pace teams will allow you to run what we call even effort rather than even time. So you can maybe go a little bit faster on the easier miles so that you have time you can give back on the harder miles. So, um, and for you, what is it, why is it a passion for you? I mean, what, what is it about pacing a marathon and, and, uh, you know, having, helping others, I guess, get that goal, that certain time, uh, what does that do for you? Um, I think it's largely giving back to more beginning runners. Um, it's, uh, kind of a challenge also you know if, I guess at some point if you've done enough marathons you know physically you can do it so it adds a mental and a social challenge because part of it is keeping the people in your group entertained and at least a little bit distracted from uh, the hardship of going <laughs> that far um, take their minds off it a little bit so we usually run um, when we're pacing at about oh, 15 to 30 minutes uh, slower of a goal time than if we were actually out and out racing the race. So that gives us a little bit more breathing, comfort, and ability to carry on conversation. But it kind of fits into my overall sort of dedication to service in general. Um, I'm a psychiatrist, so I've always enjoyed helping people. But before I went into psychiatry, my actual undergraduate degree was in secondary education, so I was a school teacher. And I just see pacing as being kind of a continuation of both of those things. It's a chance to teach people and share your experiences as a marathon runner, but also to kind of tend to their physical and mental and spiritual needs while they're trying to complete this goal. Yeah. And as a psychiatrist, I'm sure you can speak to this, you know, how obviously you, you have to train for a marathon or, or triathlon or, or whatever kind of goal that you have, you know, in the gym or whatever else, but, um, sports and, and physical challenges also require a lot of mental strength. Um, a lot of, you know, psychological stuff that goes on maybe in the middle of that event or something like that. Do you find that that is something that you've kind of honed over the course of 500 plus marathons? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of us feel that it's at least half mental. Um, the physical part, you definitely have to train for, as you mentioned, um, negative beliefs when we're beginning to feel tired or feel hot or feel pain. And I think what the mind does is it assumes that running a marathon is going to be a linear experience. If you begin to feel worse at mile 10 than you did at mile five, that it's going to keep going in that direction. And it's just not true. It's really uh, things sometimes kind of come and go. And if you just can dig a little deeper and have the belief that if I get through this, um, this will pass. I'll get my second win and I'll be able to keep going. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing what you've been able to do. And I kind of wanted to go backwards a little bit in terms of folks here that you've, you know, have done 526 marathons and growing, you know, not, not looking to stop anytime soon. 
And uh, they're thinking, you know, how can you do that? And how is that even possible? Uh, that seems like so far-fetched, you know, especially somebody may think one marathon is tough. So I know that you told me that, you know, you necessarily, as a younger child, you know, athletics was not your thing. You would actually try to avoid the 600-yard the run for that presidential fitness test we used to do. So how do you go from there to, you know, being this, you know, kind of uh, avid marathon runner now? I think it's just a progression. Um, once you start and get used to a certain distance, um, you begin to want to know if that's your limit or if you can go farther than that. So like a lot of other people, you know, I just got to where I ran a whole mile and thought that was a major accomplishment. I thought, well, let's see if I could do a 5K, 3.1 miles. So I did that and then went on to 10Ks and then um, – at some point, you begin to wonder, I wonder if I could really do this whole 26.2 mile marathon thing. And I did my first one in 1980 and was so disappointed with my time that I took 28 years off after that. Wow. In retrospect, it was funny because that time of, uh, I think it was 3.53, something like that, that ended up being my PR until a couple of years ago. So, <laughs> you know, in my 50s and early 60s, the time that I was disappointed in at 28, suddenly became really, really almost impossible to, to match. So it's, it's one of those things in life where um, no matter how much you are inclined to beat yourself up over what you perceive as being less than perfect, be happy with what you've done and just aspire to do more. Yeah, and, and you were telling me that, you know, um, in 2005, about 15-plus years ago, you, you, know, you had turned 50 years old, and you kind of restarted the exercise, the, the, the running again. So um, was that something where you were, you know, thinking you had goals? And, I mean, I guess probably could never imagine where you're at now. No, I, I had uh, sort of like crossing a river one step at a time, one rock at a time. You know, I don't really even see – the bank at the other side, but you just know you're going to keep going from stepping stone to stepping stone. But, um, you know, at the time I had just adopted a child a few years before, and I was aware that I needed to be there for him for, you know, some time. So I better take my health a little bit more seriously. So um, I started running again for health, and it was the same sort of thing that. Um, you know, after achieving distance and feeling comfortable with that, I decided to see if I could go farther and see if I could go farther. Yeah. And uh, I know in, in that in the year 2011, you ran uh, four marathons, really more than doubling what you had done in your uh, lifetime prior. Um, and uh, now, I, and you were telling me how, um, you know, you thought you had no chance of running, you know, 100 marathons, and now what? We're 526 in, and um, you were telling me that that you know it's it's living proof that Philippians 4:13 applies to running as well. Tell me about you know that verse and and that mindset um, about I guess being appreciative and, and thankful for the ability to do this. You know, well, it's it's really true that you know we can do anything through Him who strengthens us. Uh, as we talked about this a little while ago, it's not just the physical, it's the mental and the spiritual stamina and drive and belief that you can persevere if you just keep pushing through things. Um, and it's interesting is a lot of people will have that verse on the back of their shirts and races, and it's always uh, a very reassuring and comforting 
reminder to encounter that in a race. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's something that, you know, it, it, you can inspire yourself and inspire others as well, because I mean, I think, you know, we kind of always think about how we're, we're capable of doing more than we think we can do. Right. I mean, I guess for you, you, you've proven that to yourself, I imagine. Yes. Um, and that's again, part of the sort of mental and spiritual warfare you go through where you begin to have sort of self doubt and think I can't do this. Um, it's just a matter of convincing yourself that step, well, of course I can take one more step, do that, then do the next one, then do the next one. And before long you've, knocked off another mile and you begin to feel stronger and you can keep going. Yeah. I had an event, um, you know, earlier this year, uh, it was one of my first ultras and it was called one mile at a time. And it was a, a mile around, um, a lake and you had 15 minutes where you had to be back in the corral each time to be able to keep going. And so it was the, the, the organizers said, you know, Hey, we wanted to do this because it's like one mile at a time. You know, you feel like, you know, Hey, I can do one more mile. I can do one more mile and kind of keep going and kind of having that, that mindset. Um, and you were talking earlier, Dr. Ken, about how, um, you know, adopting your son, uh, when he was, um, seven months old, being a single father. So, and I know that for you, that's, it's, it was an emotional thing as you talked about it. So, um, what was that like? And, 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 and tell me a little bit about, um, you know, him growing up and, and I guess kind of having developing a passion for running just like his dad, right? Yes. Um, well, I had applied to be a foster parent and I thought I was just going to be taking him in, um, until his biological parents, um, were approved by the state to get custody of him back. But every month we would have these meetings to check on their progress and they just were not doing the things they needed to do to get him back. But I had told the Department of Family Services when they placed him with me that he would have a home. Just, you know, for as long as he needed it. Mm. So um, after about a year and a half, when it became apparent that they weren't going to get him back, they asked if I would want to adopt. And I said, well, of course. At that point, he was my son. So anyway, um, that's about the time that I started taking my health more seriously. And what we would do on weekends is I would go to a, like a local high school track around a football field. And we would bring some toys so he could play in the grass while I ran laps. And then probably around the age of four, um, he would start running with me. He would just you know, run a quarter of a mile and then go back to his toys and maybe come <laughs> back and run another quarter of a mile. So I think just from the earliest age, he kind of had internalized that as something that was fun and something that was good to do. So by the time he was in kindergarten, he was running 5Ks. Wow. And then uh, I think it was the um, New Year's Eve um, going into 2012, I found a race. It was a 5K. It started a little bit before midnight, so we could finish 2011 and start 2012 running. So at midnight, he told me that his resolution for 2012 was to run his first 10K. Mm. And um, at that point, I was still only doing like a marathon every two or three months. So uh, the one I did in February was down in New Orleans, and he was just so taken with the whole running community and the excitement of going to the expo and seeing the different exhibits and picking up a bib that he told me he decided he uh, was going to skip the 10K 
he wanted to uh, train to run a half marathon. Wow. So he was like 10 years old at that time. And it's one of those sort of parental dilemmas where you want to encourage your kids to dream big and to have good goals, but you also want to set them up for failure. And at that time, not many 10 year olds running 13.1 miles. No, so barely, barely one I, mile, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so I told him I would uh, you know, help him design a training plan and we would start on it. And if it ever felt like it was too much, that would be fine because really a lot of high school students couldn't even run a half marathon. But he, uh, the, the core of the training plan, besides just getting some base miles in during the week, was on Saturdays would go out and do his long run. So I think the first week I had him do like four or five miles, and then we just added a mile to that every Saturday. And week by week by week, he was able to add the additional mile with no difficulty. So once he hit 10, I knew he could go the additional 3.1. So I signed him up for a a half marathon. And we did that. I think his time was like 2.05, which again for a 10-year-old is great. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. And then the next weekend, he wanted to run two of them. So we signed up for one on Saturday and on Sunday. And um, by that point, he was aware of the club Half Fanatics, and their highest level involves doing 52 half marathons in 52 weeks. So on the one-year anniversary weekend of his first half marathon, he came back and ran that same race. Um, so at the age of 11, he'd already hit the highest level of half fanatics. Wow. So, I mean, and, and you guys are going together to these races really all across the country and kind of seeing, seeing the U.S., but also having that bonding and running together, right? Yes. That's, uh, yeah, to get the 52 half marathons in meant doing a lot more traveling. So sometimes I would run a half with him. Other times I would sign up for the full and he would do the half. But we got the chance to see – Probably that first year, we probably went to about 20 or 30 states. And then over the next couple of years, we managed to go to all 50 states together to run races. But um, just a lot of adventures and you know, long drives to ones that were within driving distance as well as flying. Yeah. And I think increased his um, maturity and his uh, awareness of how to relate to people from different parts of the country, different cultures. And throughout school, whenever they would do like U.S. geography and social studies, and they would talk about different regions, he could relate and say, "Oh yeah, I've been there." <laughs> has has been a lot of places uh, more so than a lot of ten year olds or or thirteen year olds as well. So, and um, I, you told me that at seventeen he became, so far as y'all knew, that the youngest person to have run one hundred marathons. So is he is he's nineteen now, or what? Where is he now? He's 20 now. 20. He's a sophomore um, at the same undergraduate school I went to, University of Missouri, Columbia. Gotcha. So is he is he still running, or do you guys still run together, or is it uh, life's gotten busy for him as a, as a college student? Um, he still runs. He's in uh, Air Force ROTC, and, um, of course, they do a lot of physical training, um, not so much races. But last March they had – a competition where nationwide and all the ROTCs across the country, they call it March Miles, and it was to see which cadet run the most miles during the month of March. So if you wanted to do that, so I said, well, you're going to have spring break during that time. You're home. You can do uh, sign you up for the same races I'm doing, and if you can come home on weekends before that, you can do the same races I'm doing. Hmm. 
and then he decided he wanted to do his first 100 miler. Um, it was one that I had done a couple of years before. So I decided not to race that weekend and just crewed for him. But anyway, by the end of the month, um, he um, he won the competition, the nationwide competition. I think the second person, the person in second place, had something like a hundred miles less than he did for the month. Wow, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a big gap there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and uh, and you yourself, you're um, correct me if I'm wrong. You're, are you 66 now? Is that right? Or if that's, I'm doing the math, that's correct. okay. And so you didn't really get serious yourself until you were in your 50s and 60s in terms of you're running, you know, all these different marathons and, and ultras. So um, I guess the, one of the questions that maybe some of our listeners might have is, how do you do it um, in terms of, you know, I mean, age, they say, is just a number, but, you know, um, it, it does can, can play a factor and injuries can play a factor. So how do you do all these back-to-back marathons and able to run that distance so often? Because uh, some folks may think that, well, you know, is that even possible? I get asked that a lot. And- <laughs> I really don't know because I, I don't use a foam roller. I don't stretch. Um, I eat little Debbie's. Um, Sounds good. It just, yeah, you know, um, I mean, I'm mindful of nutrition and things like that. But I think the biggest part of it is a lot of people get injured by trying to ramp up from where they are too quickly. And I've been doing this so long now that it's be kind of, kind of become the new normal for my body. If I take a weekend off or only run a half marathon in a weekend it just uh i actually stiffen up more than if i go out and do one or two marathons in a weekend wow so your body is uh more efficient because you've done you know 500 plus marathons i i, I guess i really think so and it's, um as a physician i know that um we are science-based but an awful lot of stuff in the conventional wisdom that doctors pass on to people is really opinion and not based on any sort of studies. Uh, When I was in medical school, it was taught that parents should absolutely positively always um, put children um, on their back to fall asleep, not on their stomachs. Then later on, oh no, that was wrong. They should always go on their stomach, never on their backs. Later on, that was wrong. They should be put on their side. I think now the current teaching is let them sleep however they want to. It has nothing to do with infant death syndrome or sudden infant death syndrome. It's just uh, it's a totally unrelated thing. But th- it's just an example of um, doctors assume how huh, running must be stressful on your joints. Therefore, you're going to blow your knees out if you run too much. And that had never really actually been studied. Now it looks more like um, joint health is a sort of a use it or lose it proposition. That mm-hmm. when you actually engage in good physical exercise that increases the blood flow to those regions to take away waste products and bring in oxygen and nutrients. And I think to some degree, um, I always feel better the more I run. Yeah. Especially if you're doing kind of maybe easier effort and not pushing yourself or going, like you said, from like, okay, I'm going to run, I'm running 30 miles this week. And then you jump to like, you know, 50 miles or 60 miles the next week, that would be maybe a bigger jump. So it's kind of taking those, like you were talking about earlier, the small stepping stones and kind of one, one at a time, right? Yeah. I think the rule of thumb that I've seen is that generally you can increase your effort by about 10% 
and the body doesn't even perceive that as being an increase. So if you've been doing 20 miles, you probably want to go up to 22 miles, not 30. So it's those big jumps that really add stress. Yeah. And um, um, speaking of, of stress or maybe excitement, I guess, you, um, you know, you've you done so many races but had never run the Boston Marathon before, but uh, you did finally qualify. And so um, that event was just, I, I believe, a couple weeks ago. If I'm, I'm, if I'm, uh, The calendar all kind of gets fuzzy at this point. But uh, tell me about that experience um, and running the Boston Marathon. It was a great experience. It was very exciting, but I had already agreed to pace the Chicago Marathon, which was the day before. And both of them are large enough races that they don't allow you to pick up your bib the day of the race Uh or to have somebody else pick it up for you for security reasons. So it was one of the more taxing weekends I've had because Thursday night after work, I had to drive to Chicago. Friday morning, I had to go to the Chicago Expo to pick up my bib and go to the airport and fly to Boston. Saturday morning, I picked up my Boston bib and went to the airport, flew back to Chicago. Sunday morning, I ran and paced the Chicago Marathon, then barely had enough time to get to the airport for the flight to Boston to run the marathon on Monday morning, then fly back to Chicago where my car was waiting, and then drive back home. So <laughs> that's that's a logi- log- logistical, ni- logistical nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. It was really unique. <laughs> <laughs> so was it worth it for the Chicago and Boston marathon experiences? Well, definitely. Cause it's, uh, you know, we're still waiting to get a final count on how many people did it, but it looks like maybe a couple hundred people did. Most of them lived in Boston. So could just pick up their bib and then fly to Chicago. It's just like going to one city to do a race and coming back home. But it's the only time those two major races have been on consecutive days because, um, Boston, as you know, is usually held on Patriots day in April. But because of the pandemic, they weren't sure there'd be quite enough people vaccinated yet. So they deferred it to October this year for one and only time, probably. So just it was a unique history-making chance to do two of the largest world major marathons on consecutive days. Wow. And, you know, having done so much back-to-back weekends or even back-to-back days and, and, uh, you know, and, and you seem to, you know, not not be stopping or slowing down when it terms of uh, getting these races in, what would you say to folks, whether they maybe are a new runner, maybe they are, maybe they have your goal, you know, they want to do 52 in 52 weeks, or they want to run a hundred plus marathons. <clears throat> what would you say to folks in terms of some of the things that you, that have been keys to your success? Um, you know, I think one of the things is to, um, it's sort of like making the transition from, running a 5k to a half marathon or marathon is that you don't have to run at your maximal speed the entire way. Um, if you did, it, I mean, very few of us can do, um, a marathon at our 5k pace. Yeah. So slowing down sometimes is the key to being able to go farther. So it's the same sort of thing. Pick maybe three or four target races a year where I really care about my time. And otherwise I just run them, um, it's still respectable times, but times that are pretty easy to recover from. Um, so that's one thing that helps. Um, when you get to where you're doing them in consecutive days, I have sort of some rituals I follow where right after the first race, I put on compression tights uh, as I drive to the second race. 
I think that helps prevent like deep venous thrombosis and other kind of problems that can happen. But also just um, helps the muscles recover quicker because there's less fiber oscillation with that compression. Um, I usually wear a totally different pair of shoes the second day because just like we need to recover, so does the foam in our shoe. Yeah. Um, I pretty much let myself eat whatever I want to. Yeah, I'm about to say that you should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's just you know it's not a time to be really, you know, worried about measuring out how many grams of this you're getting or how many grams of that. And usually, your body knows what it wants. If you've depleted more protein than carbs, you know, even though most people think of uh, pasta as being the ideal pre-marathon uh, dinner, a lot of times I'll be really craving protein so i'll have steak for dinner the night of the uh night before the second race yeah maybe things there is from time to time what you crave and uh, things that are like really fried or greasy or anything you stay away from in terms of pre or post marathon or um generally speaking yeah because um (laughs) um the few times i've tried i've slipped and tried to eat really uh fried or very fat, heavy foods results in um, more frequent visits to the portable toilets on the, <laughs> the, port, the, the porta potty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, nature calls. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, and, and imagine you, you've uh, had a lot of different experiences out there in the middle of the marathon. So, and, and I forgot to ask you this earlier in terms of pacing. So do you have a certain time or, or window of time that you're usually pacing most marathons? I know you mentioned how you want to do it like 15 to 30 minutes slower than maybe your typical comfortable, you know, pace. So what are, what are your times that you're usually, or is that, does that widely vary? What well, varies a a whole lot. Um, the fastest time I paced ever was 350. And um, that's not much slower than my PR, but it was a pr- primarily downhill course, so I knew I'd be able to do it. Um, but then the slowest time I paced is six hours. And with that, I I just can't um, run that slow. So I always do that as a run-walk, yeah. wonderful kind of thing. But the average time for me pacing is usually right around five hours. Last weekend, I paced um, the Kansas City Marathon in the 5.15 time and finished in 5.14.31. And the next day, I paced um, Des Moines uh, 25 minutes faster than that. It was the 4.50 group and finished in 4.49.29. Is it usually, I mean, obviously, you know, in a marathon at mile, whatever, 15, 20, 24, whatever time it happens for folks, they either may hit a wall, especially if they're new to it or, and they, you know, may just feel like they just want to stop or they're just tired mentally or physically. So, um, have you, you know, um, so is it exciting and fun for you and them during the pacing or you're trying to like cheer them up and get them to, to keep moving and not stop? That's really, um, a challenging thing because on the one hand, um, if it's just the sort of thing where they just need a little bit of encouragement to press through it, um, I want to provide that. But also, if they really, really are spent and they know that's it for them, um, I think it's very inconsiderate and inhumane. It comes across more as nagging and almost shaming uh, to say, come on, come on, try harder. So I try to give people sort of a face-saving way 
to drop back um, and still feel like at least I got them to that point and um, that's farther than they might have gotten if they'd gone out too fast at the start and burned up their glycogen. Yeah. And just having, enjoying the process, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like you're going to live or die if you don't meet this certain time, finish time for the marathon, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the talks I usually have with people during the course of pacing is that I think it's always good. Different people call it different things, A, B, and C goals, or, you know, really, I'll be ecstatic if I do this goal versus I'll be really happy with this goal versus I can keep my head held high and live to fight another day with this goal. Uh, for a lot of first-time marathoners, just finishing is uh, a tremendous goal to have. Yeah. And, you know, you, you talked about, you know, um, and I, I'm, unfortunately, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't foam roll much or stretch much. I used to when I was a newer runner, um, but I need to do it more often now. And yoga was something I, I, you know, as of a couple of years ago, I was doing a lot as well. How do you, um, do you, do you get injuries uh, having run so much, uh, certain kinds of injuries, or do you, um, you know, do you do certain things to try to uh, prevent injuries running in your 60s? I've really been fortunate. I think um, the last time I had an injury was um, I think I pulled my right hamstring back in 2013, um, and that was the first year I was trying to run 52 in 52 weeks and I ended up um, missing two weeks uh, I just I could not have done a marathon and I remember being so depressed because I think at that point I was about 25 26 marathons and I was about halfway there I thought oh you know I've come this far and I will never ever do 52 marathons in a year again I just you know, I was afraid I wasn't going to make my goal hmm. but I uh, got into some uh, active release uh, physical therapy and was able to slow down some and get back into it after two weeks and uh, made the 52 in time. Then, of course, after completing that, and I've done it now eight more years. So if I would known then what I know now, I wouldn't have been that uh, sad and, and certain that I wasn't going to make my goal. But, but anyway, I've been very, very blessed not to have had any other uh, – injuries that have been interfered with being able to keep running in the eight years since then. Yeah. And you were talking about some of those numbers, you know, and now you've done 95 doubles, which that is what uh, a marathon and back-to-back days. Is that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. And then 12 triples, two quads and, and um, you know, you've run obviously, you know, 526 uh, at this point of the marathon. So, I guess a, uh, another question folks may have thinking, you know, of this seems extreme is why, what's, what, what is the why for you? Why keep doing this? What is it that uh, keeps you moving and keeps you kind of seeking out and doing all these different races? I guess it's just become sort of what I'm used to. And I just enjoy the challenge. Um, you know, I started off with the goal of just doing the 52 and 52 weeks for a one-time thing, and then the following, after reaching that goal, I just signed up for another race the following weekend. I, at that time, I didn't think I was going to do it a second year, but I did. And then at that point, it's almost like every um, hundred becomes sort of a goal. It's like, okay, I'm at 200, see if I can make it to 300. I'm at 300, see if I can make it to 400. So uh, this year, well, that's what happened last year is I started 2020 
with the goal that I wanted to hit 499 at the end of the year so I could do 500 on New Year's Day. Mm. So I had 16 in by early March, and then the pandemic hit, and there were no races anywhere. I mean, I couldn't have gone anywhere if I wanted to because they just had stopped um, mid-March till about the end of June, one or two began to reappear. So I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get to 499 because I still needed – um, I guess it would have been like um, 40, 49. Uh, yeah, 49 more to make it to 499. But I managed to run like 10 or 11 marathons a month in September, October, November, and December and hit my 499 goal December 31st and then was able to do number 500 on January 1st. So um, it's just one of those things where you reach one goal and then another one emerges and you just kind of reset and shoot for that. And, and as much as you're doing races and going to maybe, I know you're doing some in Missouri, but traveling for a lot of these as well, it's not a, uh, necessarily a cheap, uh, hobby either in terms of the, the, sh- the running shoes and the registrations and all that kind of stuff. I imagine that's, a um, it's uh, more expensive than golf the way you're doing it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if I let myself think about it, I'm sure it is, but it's, um, <laughs> like with the weekend I recently had in uh, Chicago and. New York. I don't know if it was subconsciously or intentionally, but um, I booked each individual part of that separately. So I booked like the first flight to Boston um, different than when I sat down to book the second flight and the same thing with the hotels <laughs> because if I did it all at once and could see the total number, I would have probably thought it was too expensive to do. But you know, if you do it as individual, it's sort of like, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? <laughs> if you can break it down into more manageable pieces you don't let yourself think about what it's adding up to. That's right. Don't look at the elephant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we were talking about kind of the, the psychological and spiritual part of this uh, beforehand and how, um, you know, you, you, you want to inspire others. So, you know, um, you talked about how, you know, kind of God gives you the strength and how you're able to do this at your age. And it's, you know, obviously you've worked hard, but, you know, you get that strength elsewhere as well. So what do you hope people get out of your experience and your, your journey? Uh, you know, people kind of maybe that are listening now or kind of watching your journey and they see you out and you're pacing them. What do you hope that they, you know, that they're inspired by what you're doing? I do. I, it, it's sort of like the same thing with, um, with my son. I was really glad that he ended up choosing to make running a part of his life. But um, from an early age on, my goal was that he be passionate about something. It didn't have to be what I was passionate about. Um, if he had decided he wanted to excel at soccer or at wrestling or at anything else, that would have been fine. But I just wanted to sort of role model what it was like to be dedicated to fitness and dedicated to self-improvement, and then he could choose which avenue he took to get there. I think it's the same thing with running. There's so many life lessons you get from running distance, but um, if somebody is running their first marathon in my pace group and that's the only one they're ever going to do, that's fine, but I just hope that they realize that whatever goal you set, there are going to be times when you get discouraged. There are going to be times when you don't think you can do it. But um, if you just keep going, um, you can overcome things. You know, there are a lot of verses in the Bible, I think, that those of us who are Christians and runners think about. Um, one that I think applies to running that a lot of people don't apply is 2 Timothy 2.15, 
Um, in the King James, it says to study to show yourself approved. But the word study in Greek there, in more recent translations, means to strive for. Um, and I think that's really part of what the running thing is. You don't just show up for a marathon not having trained. Or people do sometimes, and they have a very rude awakening ahead of them. But um, I think a big part is showing up, but it's the work that you put into months and months before that. And then once you've attained that, then maintaining it and uh, just keeping your base. Yeah. Well, that's well said. You got to be prepared, you know, and, and I mean, and if, if, if other people were like, maybe say, well, this is going to be my only marathon, you can say, well, never say never because, you know, you yourself, you back in the day thought you were going to be a one and dunner. And then, uh, you, uh, what, uh, almost 30 years later, you're, you were back at it and, uh, and, uh, bigger and better than ever. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just, it's exactly it. You just never say never because, um, it's this, the thing about the sport is that it's almost um, it knows what you need and gives it to you. When you start getting a little bit too self-confident, um, you'll have a really bad day. And it's very humbling, puts you in your place. And there's times you're feeling really defeated, and then unexpectedly, out of nowhere, you do better than expected, and it's very validating. So, um, and I'm sure there are other activities that are that way too. But it just uh, it seems to meet you where you are and gives you what you need. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of what's next for you, um, what do you have uh, another, I mean, you know, uh, you just, the numbers are just kind of piling up at this point. So do you have a goal of like a certain number of marathons or like for a, a year or something time in the future, or you're just going to kind of keep, uh, kind of going at the pace you're going at now? Well, this is my ninth year straight of doing at least 52 in a year. So, 10 seems like a good round number. I think I want to do at least 10 years of 52 a year. Um, then beyond that, I think I want to start looking at doing travel outside the U.S. So far, the only um, international races I've done are two in Canada. So um, I would like to run a marathon in all seven continents, and that's possible to do. They actually have races in Antarctica. Um, I would like to do the three international world majors, the Abbott world majors I haven't done yet, um, Tokyo, London, and Berlin. Um, and beyond that, I'll just have to kind of see what else there is. I I'd signed up to do Comrades in South Africa um, last year, and then it was uh, it's been canceled the last two years. So that I'm really looking forward to. That's an ultra that's very, very challenging. and has a rigid 12-hour limit. Hmm. So there are just a lot of very adventurous races out there to do. Yeah. And speaking of all the races you've done, is there one in particular that stands out for you? I mean, you've been doing this for, uh, you know, really, really a, a ton of them in, in the last decade. Oh, any particular race marathon or whatever that is like your favorite, I guess, top of your list. Oh, that's <laughs> who, who's your favorite child. Exactly. But you've got like um, 500 to choose from. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I like a lot of the smaller, more personal races, but, you know, running New York City, Chicago, Boston, those have been great experiences, too. Um, Big Sur is a beautiful course in California. E.T. in Nevada starts at midnight, and it's at the height of the um, August meteor shower, so you see a lot of shooting stars. So there's a lot of very interesting races, but probably the most unique one I've ever done was way back in 2012, um, when the Mayan calendar supposedly had predicted the end of the world. And 
I think it was going to be on December 22nd. Um, the same couple that started the 50 State Marathon Club decided to have a special once-in-a-lifetime race called the End of the World Marathon hmm. to be held on that day, December 22nd. And then the race director said, well, I'm a pessimist, but my wife is an optimist, and she wants me to offer the day after the end of the World Marathon the next day. <laughs> if the world ends, there will be no money back. I uh, can't promise there will be a race that day. That's but right. you can sign up for both of these races. So uh, a lot of us did. And the swag that came with that race was very unique. Uh, for the end of the world day, it was a black baseball hat, a black T-shirt with Mayans pointing at the sky and a big meteor coming down, <laughs> um, a black gym bag, and the medal was a big, round Mayan calendar on a ribbon. Then for the next day, it was a bright yellow hat, bright yellow gym bag, bright purple T-shirt with happy dancing Mayans around the campfire. <laughs> we survived. The same, yeah, exactly. The same medal, but with a smiley face right in the middle of the calendar. Wow. So that'll never be done again. That was really fun to do a unique thematic race like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you've had lots of these fun experiences, big races, small races, that kind of thing. But uh, definitely what you've been doing is uh, inspiring to us, you know, and, and uh, as, as, as a dad, as a marathon runner, as a psychiatrist, you wear a lot of hats. But uh, we appreciate you and pacing so many folks. I'm sure you've helped, you know, uh, tens of thousands of folks, I'm sure, through the process. And so I'm sure they're thankful to you as well. Well, it's a pleasure to uh, be able to help people, and it is really interesting. Some of them will friend me on Facebook afterwards, and we're still friends, you know, six, seven, eight years later. Yeah. Well, I mean, and sure, I'm sure you're going to keep going, so uh, maybe I'll, I'll uh, you'll pace me or vice versa someday. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at a future race for sure. That sounds great, Jason. Yeah, Dr. Ken is, is just inspiring what he's done. Um, and, and he talked about how um, he, at a pasta dinner for one of his very first marathons, uh, they had a speaker at that marathon who would be uh, running his you know lifetime 100th marathon the next day. And you know, Dr. Ken Fatman says he assumed the human body could only tolerate three or four marathons per year, which I average about you know three to five marathons a year. So he figured you know there's no way to for him to even live long enough to break 100. Now he's a uh, uh, broken about broken more than 525 marathons, uh, and he's run at least 52 in 52 weeks for nine straight years. Pretty amazing. He's ran 52 half and 52 full marathons and back in 2018 as well. Um, and uh, he managed to get in, you know, uh, more than 60 actual, not virtual marathons last year in 2020, even amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. So we, we, you know, we definitely applaud him for uh, doing some amazing feats in his, in his mid-60s now. He's, he's not slowing down any. So, uh, you know, age... Don't let that be your excuse, and uh, you know he's he's um, he's keeping on trucking. So we uh, we thank Dr. Ken for opening up and his conversation, getting a little emotional too, talking about his son and how they have shared that passion of running and how it's really helped their relationship as well. Now to our final segments of the podcast. We already had uh, the Stuck in My Head, uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Uh, you can go back and listen to that at the very beginning of the podcast. Uh, root, root, root for the Bravos. Uh, but we have uh, some uh, inspirational quote when it comes to you know, talking a little bit about setting the pace. Well, you know, this singer... 
uh, that you may well know. He sings about songs like Changes in Attitudes, Changes in Latitudes, um, Wasting Away in Margaritaville, and uh, all kinds of uh, uh, fun beach songs about relaxing and having a good time with friends and family out on a boat or uh, at the bar. Uh, But uh, Jimmy Buffett, uh, who uh, you probably know well, he has a song, you know, I was looking for something about, you know, setting the pace. Well, you know, he, this is a quote from Jimmy Buffett for our parting gift tonight. Go fast enough to get there, but slow enough to see. You know, it's very, a very interesting, intriguing what he says there. Let me repeat it to you. Go fast enough to get there, but slow enough to see. So uh, you need to be able to get to your destination and, and not be procrastinating or not be lazy. Put the work in and, and get there fast enough, but you need to be able to kind of be able to enjoy the ride because that's what it's all about, whether you're training for a marathon, working out, uh, trying to get a new job, uh, a project at work, um, something with your family that you have planned, all kinds of different things. So go fast enough to get there, but you know you want to make sure to, to slow down and, and smell the roses, as they say, and uh, you know just to enjoy life because it's going to be gone in a blink. And uh, you know you want to enjoy that journey along the way because that that's what it really what it's all about the the journey and uh, enjoying it with those that you love. Now to our closing prayer. Uh, Dear God, I just thank you so much for um, the life that you've given each and every one of us. Thank you for being able to to celebrate sports and and, uh, and fitness and faith and things that that we're passionate about, Lord God, uh, that we can share those passions with others. But, Lord God, that our passion should first and foremost be about you and uh, just your mercy, your grace, the things that you do for us on a daily basis, the things you've done for us in the past, like dying on the cross, Lord God, that that say with us that we're passionate about that as much as we are about baseball or running or um, or, or parenthood or anything, Lord God. Uh, we just thank you for our, our families, uh, that just uh, keep them uh, protected right now, Lord God, and uh, that, you know, just like Dr. Ken with his son and with me, with my kids and my wife, Lord God, that you just uh, uh, send uh, send your angels around them uh, as this world uh, can be dark sometimes. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, again, uh, we thank you so much for choosing the uh, um, Run the Race podcast, hosted by yours truly, a lifetime Atlanta Braves fan, home of now the World Series champs for 2021, like I talked about earlier. Uh, so uh, it's so so exciting for sure. And I uh, hope you enjoyed my San Diego Marathon a recap and our conversation with Dr. Kim. Now, speaking of baseball, if you missed our last episode, we had Glenn Davis on who was a, uh, a major leaguer for about uh, 10 seasons, including most of those with the Houston Astros, who just lost to the Atlanta Braves. He talks about, you know, kind of leading up to the World Series, rooting for both teams and what it would be like and uh, what it was like for him as a major leaguer, some, some pro fitness advice, too. So make sure to go back and listen to that on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you can find podcasts. Make sure to tell your folks, tell your friends, everybody about hashtag Run the Race podcast. And uh, and until next time, play ball.